You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation. On the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Today we talk to Michael Kane, National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, the TWU, about a new report by Monash University into the health of truck drivers. The findings are frankly pretty shocking. But first, some union news. An audit of the University of Sydney has revealed that its library staff have been underpaid for many years, bringing the estimated total of repayments due to all university workers to $42 million. Troy Wright, Assistant Secretary of the Community and Public Sector Union, CPSU New South Wales, said many of the university's 265 library staff and others who had left could be owed hundreds of thousands of dollars in missed overtime. It has been identified that certain staff in the library, employed under the current and previous enterprise agreements, have been incorrectly classified as shift workers and have received a shift loading rather than overtime payment in accordance with the enterprise agreement. Workers at the VICT terminal in Webb Dock in Melbourne have supported a vote for protected action with unsafe staffing levels and long working hours without breaks a key issue. Aaron Moon, Assistant Secretary of the MUA and National Organiser, explains. So on uh, Tuesday, we seen the results come back for the protected action ballot down there with 100% of the members uh, that were able to vote in it, voting in favour of all 19 pieces of protected action that we proposed, which is a, a big step in the campaign. We've been meeting with the company now for, I think we've had about 13 meetings with them. And even the non-cost and non-controversial claims that we've been trying to get up uh, have been difficult for us to get across the line. But uh, we came to a stalemate around uh, some of the other stuff, around rosters, safe manning, the hours of work. Eventually, the delegates and the workforce there decided to go to protected action. And can you can you tell us a bit about one of the main issues down there at VICT? What are some of those main, main issues that, you know, people are taking protected action for? Uh, mate, it's, it's just about aligning their conditions with um, the rest of the industry. So... Uh, not only are they significantly behind in wages, but um, uh, they work excessive hours. So quite often, because of the operation do, uh, working 12-hour shifts, they work excessively and uh, quite often without a break. So one of the big issues is safe manning levels and manning levels uh, that will will give uh, adequate breaks to the workforce down there, um, but also um, not, uh, not, not kill them while they're doing 12-hour shifts of heavy manual labour. The members took the first step with a four-hour stoppage on Tuesday the 15th of February in this ongoing dispute. 
In New South Wales, staff at Goulburn Supermax Prison are considering strike action. Chair of the Prison Officers Vocational Branch of the Public Service Association of New South Wales, Nicole Jess, said tensions had been rising since Correction Services New South Wales reduced the Assistant Superintendent Frank in jails to functional manager roles, cut staff numbers and made positions casual. The changes have led to fewer senior ranking officers in jails and more young recruits in casual contracts replacing the experienced retiring staff. The union fought workplace casualisation in 2012 but lost. Now it's calling on the government department to increase the number of permanent roles to 70% of the workforce. The issues brewing in Goulburn Correctional Centre aren't confined to that jail, Ms Jess said with staff across New South Wales on the brink of striking and wanting industrial action. We're in a really hard spot at the moment, said Ms Jess. We've had multiple incidents in the past four months, including the COVID-19 situation, five riots, an increase in assaults on officers, two hostage situations, a stabbing, the Wollongong incident where an inmate took the gun and shot himself, the Lismore incident where a prison officer has been charged with manslaughter and workers' compensation has gone through the roof. One of those five riots was at Goulburn Correctional Centre in April 2020. Inmates at Goulburn threw canned food at prison officers and lit several small fires after they were placed in lockdown, which meant they weren't allowed visitors due to COVID-19. <coughs> A couple reported that they drove 2,000 kilometres to take up work at a remote roadhouse only to find they were expected to work a trial week of a combined 90 hours without pay. It appeared that previous backpackers had not balked at this arrangement because they were unaware it was an illegal request. Under the Fair Work Act 2009, it is legal for a person to be asked to undertake an unpaid trial to be evaluated for a position to determine their suitability for a job, but only for as long as needed for the person to demonstrate the skills required for the job. That will be dependent on the nature and complexity of the work, but could range from an hour to one shift, a Fair Work Ombudsman spokesperson said. Anything beyond that is reasonably required to demonstrate the job skill must be paid. Any period beyond what is reasonably required to demonstrate the skills required for the job must be paid at the appropriate minimum rate of pay. If an employer wants to further assist a candidate's suitability, they could employ the person as a casual employee and or for a probationary period and pay them accordingly for all hours' work. In a pre-election speech, the federal opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, is promising workers a better deal with a suite of reforms to improve job security and provide minimum pay and entitlements to those in insecure work. Albanese calls for a process to set minimum pay in the gig economy. He says Labor wants portable leave entitlements and will legislate a cap on rolling fixed-term contracts and a requirement for Labor hire workers to receive the same pay as co-workers. Albanese says the policy will help gig economy workers who are being denied basic rights such as award benefits, superannuation, the right to collectively bargain and access to unfair dismissal protections. 
the Labor leader promises an ALP government would legislate to create a fair test to determine when a worker can be classified as a casual rather than the LNP federal government stance that proposes that employers and employees agree who is a casual, which fails to recognise the power imbalance between workers and bosses. Labor will also target insecure work by legislating that fixed-term contracts for the same role cannot extend for 24 months or two consecutive contracts, whichever comes first. For those who remain in insecure work, Albanese promised that Labor would work with state and territory governments, unions and industry to develop portable entitlements for annual leave, sick leave and long service leave. The Maritime Union of Australia, the MUA, warns that Australia faces the growing fuel security crisis following ExxonMobil's announcement that it plans to close the Altona oil refinery in Melbourne with a loss of 350 jobs, further increasing the nation's reliance on imported fuel to keep the economy moving. The closure is the second announcement in five months following BP's decision last year to shut Kiwana refinery in Western Australia with the loss of 600 jobs, leaving just two domestic fuel producers. The union warned that the replacement of domestic fuel production with a growing reliance on fuel refined overseas and transported to Australia on foreign-owned and operated tankers was making the nation increasingly vulnerable to an international crisis that impacts maritime trade. MUA Assistant National Secretary Jamie Newell said the federal government needed to take urgent action to retain remaining refineries, increase domestic fuel stockpile and boost supply chain resilience. We need urgent action from the federal government, he said, with options including the purchase of these refineries, allowing this critical infrastructure to continue to operate under public ownership, along with a massive increase in domestic fuel reserves and the development of a strategic shipping fleet. The federal government should insist that if Altona refinery closes, ExxonMobil must create a fleet of Australian registered tankers to carry fuel to Australia and transport it around the coast. If ExxonMobil committed to use just 10 Australian ships to import and distribute fuel, it would create 340 seafaring jobs, he said. Mr Newell said Australia continued to fall well short of the International Energy Agency's 90-day fuel stock-holding obligation, meaning the nation could run out of liquid fuel within weeks if a major crisis cut supplies. The ACTU, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, expressed outrage and dismay at the murder of Leonardo Escala, the president of the Union for Dock Workers, at Manila Port Operator International Container Terminal on the 7th of February. According to the police report, Escala was with his four-year-old niece on Sunday evening when unidentified assailants shot them multiple times before speeding off on a scooter. Escala later died in hospital and his niece is undergoing medical treatment. This appears to be yet another case of a trade unionist in the Philippines killed by extrajudicial violence because he stood up for workers, said Michelle O'Neill, ACTU president. Over 50 union members and officials have now been killed by extrajudicial violence under President Duarte's administration. In a letter directed to the Filipino Secretary of the Department of Labor and Employment, Ms O'Neill wrote, The Australian union movement stands in solidarity with unions in the Philippines against persistent attacks 
violence, harassment and murder. We will continue to campaign for justice for Filipino trade unionists and closely monitor the human trade union rights situation in your country. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. The first major survey of truck drivers commissioned by the TWU partnered with Lynn Fox and the Centre for Work, Health and Safety shows over 80% of drivers are overweight or obese. One in five suffering from depression, over 70% living with chronic pain and almost a third with multiple chronic health conditions. Shocking results for Australia's most common job for men. I spoke to Michael Kane, National Secretary of the TWU, the Transport Workers Union. Yeah, look, this is a this is a really shocking um, set of results uh, from this study. This is the the very first baseline study of the health of uh, truck drivers in Australia. In fact, it's one of the first of this type in the world. And we thought that together with um, uh, trucking firm Linfox. We thought it was really important for us to do this. So around about three years ago, we undertook to engage Monash University to have a look at this, to see what was actually happening with drivers uh, on the road. We know um, and have known for two or three decades that this is an industry um, that is under permanent commercial pressure. Um, Those customers that need their freight delivered, they squeeze the transport operators Uh, for every last dollar and that means that the transport operators have to expect a lot sometimes way too much of their drivers and that's led to consequences uh, such as uh, safety concerns truck crashes a very very high level of deaths in the industry and we wanted to see also what the health effects were of those pressures and this health study um, does not paint a good picture uh, paints a picture of truck drivers uh, that are unhealthy, um, that are um, uh, overweight um, by a much higher proportion than the general population, that have had three or more diagnosed medical conditions, 30% of them compared to 8% in the usual population. And I guess most disturbingly, 50% of the respondents, and this is a very large study, 50% of the respondents reported having some level of psychological distress. And in in an industry where you are uh, in a dangerous profession, you're interacting with other people on the road, uh, this is not a very good set of results and it's something that the community needs to turn its mind to. It is pretty shocking. 80% of drivers overweight or obese, one in five suffering from depression, over 70% living with chronic pain, uh, which is quite extraordinary amounts. I mean, I found that really shocking. Oh, it is. It's, um, it, it, it is hard to, to believe. But let's just think about what these uh, drivers do. Let's think about what they've done in the last year. When we've been in this pandemic, they've shown themselves to be one of those groups of workers that we really have started describing as heroes of the pandemic. I mean, this is a massive island continent. This is a critical task with truckies uh, keeping supply chains open uh, while communities have been in lockdown, getting food to our supermarkets, uh, crossing uh, borders when they've been shut down, waiting for hours and hours in queues. Now, they, these are incredibly valuable um, workers in the economy. And this study shows that they're really being left um, in terrible situations as far as their health goes. Now, we know that long-haul um, trucking is not an easy job. There are long hours alone on the road. 
Uh, there's pressure to meet tight deadlines. Very often there's low wages with drivers who own their own vehicle only being paid when the wheels are turning around. Of course, there's fatigue. And what this um, survey also shows is that there's very poor access to good nutrition um, and good rest stops um, throughout the country. And, and that, of course, needs to be addressed. But the most important thing to address um, is uh, for the community and for governments to realise that at the moment the recipe is wrong. And if you've got drivers who are feeling these physical effects, these emotional and psychological effects on our roads, that's not a good thing for them and it's not a good thing for the community. Well, it's, it's interesting because having a, a, um, a study, an academic study into these things is great for quantifying and put, giving a clear picture. So, for example, one in every 33 men... Uh, are working as drivers in our economy. So that's 200,000 drivers. And then to uh, have uh, it clear that these people, because of the low pay and the pressure, are working sometimes up to 60 hours per week. Um, what we're really saying is that uh, we've got a systemic problem. Oh, you're absolutely correct. Um, the systemic problem that really comes and, and emanates from the commercial pressures in the industry, which we need to address. So back in 2012, the Gillard government uh, put in place um, uh, what was called the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal. It was really a, a, a long-winded way of saying that it was a, a road safety watchdog. And what it was charged with doing was looking at the commercial pressures in the industry. And when I say commercial pressures, I mean looking at those customers, the likes of the big major retailers, the big manufacturers, they're the ones that want the bulk of freight carted across this country. And to look at the pressures that they put on the transport supply chain, the commercial pressures they put on, um, the, the economic squeeze, the paucity that they, with which they pay the transport operators to cart the goods and the contract requirements they put on them and the unreasonable delivery deadlines. And uh, that tribunal was um, nearly at the end of its work when, unfortunately, um, in, a, in a real political move in the lead up to the 2016 election, uh, the Turnbull government abolished that tribunal. Now, what we really need is um, something like that that has the power to look at what are the pressures that are actually making this job so unsustainable. Because what we see from this Monash in, um, research is that this job is not sustainable. If you're a driver and these are the challenges you're facing, these are the physical, mental outcomes of doing your job, such a valuable job, then something is systemically wrong and we've got to find a way as a community to get over it. And the way that you fix something is you go to the cause. You don't just go to the symptoms. Uh, and the cause is commercial pressure. And at the moment, there's nothing in place from governments to address it. Uh, if you look at the results on the ground, uh, you've got for the drivers, it's these health outcomes and things like uh, one in two drivers reported some level of psychological distress. And the proportion of truck drivers under 35 with severe psychological distress was almost double that of the average for Australian males for that age bracket. 
but also you've got people's families breaking up because they're working too long, the hours are too long, and also uh, they're um, unable to uh, contribute to their families. You know, they're, they're trying to get the economy going for their families, but the psychological uh, requirements for community uh, are out of their reach. Yeah, yeah, some heartbreaking stories. I mean, this research um, also undertook some in-depth uh, one-on-one discussions with uh, drivers and some really heartbreaking um, responses. Um, you know, one of one of those which I, I think uh, reflects the comment you just made is, is, is this quote, my son's been looking for my guidance and my love, I suppose, and it hasn't been there because I've been too busy driving trucks and, you know, fighting my own battles. So, you know, that's that kind of um, genuine heartfelt response that has that really um, uh, uh, difficult thing for us all to face, which is that it, it sounds a bit hopeless. It sounds like, how am I going to get out of this cycle where I know I need to be out on the road? I know I need to do that to provide for my family. But family then is a thing of the past for me because I can't, I can't be there for them. I can't nurture them. I can't interact with them. I can't grow with them. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that I think when people are, uh, are looking at the work that truckies do, particularly long-haul truckies, um, they need to think about the sacrifices that are being made. And if those sacrifices are to be made, and let's face it, we don't have the infrastructure at the moment to have um, long-haul rail or anything like that. So this is going to be there for some time. If this is a sacrifice we're going to be requiring of truckies on our road, then we deserve, and they deserve, and we deserve as a community to give them every support. Um, and at the moment, of course, we can see from these results that they're being left to their own devices, and it's really quite heartbreaking. It's interesting because it's a collaboration, really, and I mean that in the old term, like collaborating in, you know, uh, not not in a positive way, but a collaboration between government policy and big business because, as you said, rail has been sidelined and that was a specific policy development hand-in-hand with big business. So, therefore, uh, the idea that the uh, government uh, despises having any regulation really uh, shows their lack of... Uh, interest in the well-being of the workers in this industry? Yeah, well, I, I think that's right. I mean, for, from our perspective, representing drivers, um, even if you had a, an advanced um, rail network, there'd be plenty of work for truck drivers because you've, you've got to get the, the goods from the, the tr- from the rail hub to, to wherever they've got to go. But um, you're right. It's a collaboration. It's almost like there's a, there's a, there's a complicity. There's some kind of um, plan. Um, here, uh, and I don't know at whose behest, but what we need is, yes, attention to infrastructure, better roads, uh, more rail to supplement the road task, and critically, um, uh, a standing body that can look into this industry and uh, take steps um, to put enforceable obligations in place to make sure that those who want the freight carted are paying enough, that they don't have unrealistic or penalising commercial features of their contracts, which are causing transport operators to push drivers. And, of course, those infrastructure, basic infrastructure um, uh, elements, 
such as appropriate support for rest stops and, you know, uh, enough financial support that um, these remote businesses, these rest stops can actually provide good nutrition options for uh, drivers as they go through their day. And of course, the networks of mental health support. And of course, there's any driver listening who feels um, uh, really terrible about this. Uh, don't forget, there are always um, those lines for you to call, Lifeline, Beyond Blue, etc. And 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 with the industry, we've developed um, uh, our own um, approach here called Steering Healthy Minds. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, skill up workers, drivers and management, but uh, drivers and um, road transport workers, to be supports for each other. Give them the skills to recognise when one of their peers might be in trouble. We'll give them the skills when one of their peers calls them um, and they're not feeling great to be able to support them because, of course, peer support is so important. A truckie speaking to another truckie who knows the job, who knows the challenges, who knows the right thing to say just at that moment um, is really important. So these are some of the things we just must do. And I suppose ultimately, and this is probably the final part of this, that uh, the general public will be benefited by changes in this industry because the uh, the death rate on the um, roads are also affected by uh, bad um, re- uh, regulation in regards to trucking. Yeah, well, of course, truck drivers are overrepresented um, in uh, fatal truck incidents uh, massively. I mean, they represent about... Uh, between 4 and 7% of the licensed population, and yet they're represented in around about 25% of road fatalities. And, um, you know, this is, this is something that the community ha- has to take account of. Everyone knows that it is uncomfortable uh, when you're out on the road. You might be going off for your holiday in your car with your family. It's uncomfortable, of course, with a very large vehicle that's in and around yours. Um, and what we want in those circumstances is we want to have in our minds that, yes, this is a difficult task that these truckies are performing, but we're okay because they're, they're rested, they're paid properly, their transport company is not under pressure by clients from the top of the supply chain. Now, they're going to get to a rest stop. They're going to have um, healthy options to eat and sleep. They're going to have a place to rest. Of course, none of those elements currently exist and that means that the recipe is deadly. And we have around about 250 Australians each year uh, dying in truck crashes. And um, that is not acceptable. And it's a clear and present risk for everyone who's on the roads. Um, and this is a national crisis that has to be dealt with. Crisis of deaths and a crisis which this research shines a light on. It's time for governments to get off their hands and start taking urgent action Uh, to make a difference for truckies and for the general road-using community. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the show, we are podcast at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes and Spotify. If you want to drop us a line, email us on sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. Before we leave, I would make tribute to the indomitable workers' rights campaigner Anne Feeney using the words of the Labor Notes website. This week, the US labour movement lost its best-known and best-loved troubadour, 
the great folk singer, songwriter Anne Feeney. She died of COVID on February the 3rd at age 69, with her children at her side. With her fantastic songs and feisty spirit, she made an incalculable contribution to the movement. She is irreplaceable and gone too soon. We will go out with one of her tunes. And until next week, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And stick together. Listen up. We've got a war zone here today right in our heartland. And across the USA, these multinational bastards don't use tanks and guns, it's true. But they've declared a war on us. Fight back, it's up to you. Oh, it's a war on the workers. War on the death of you and me, but we're not unarmed. Our weapons solidarity. Jim Beals and Karen Silkwood, the list goes on and on. With every year that passes, 60,000 more gone. Oh, it's a war on the workers. War on the workers. Oh, it's a war on the workers. War on the workers. Oh, it's a war on the workers. And it's time we started calling the shots. When they boost your car
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.